Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Oh yeah, I heard my voice. I mean, I heard my name. I heard something. Hello, how are you? (laughs) This doesn't bode well, does it? No. It's uh, the 17th of January, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, it's a Wednesday. And uh, excuse me while I sort of get my, uh, there's something on my phone I think I wanted to share with you. Uh, This uh, kerfuffle about uh, the PG editorial uh, yesterday continues to, I would say, grow. Uh, It's been interesting to see, and I I don't know uh, how many reporters uh, or employees have publicly uh, come out and uh, expressed their disgust and or humiliation and or whatever to uh, their uh, newspaper's editorial on Martin Luther King Day, about essentially about how uh, racism doesn't exist. <laughs> I think that was pretty much, if you sort of summed it all up, uh, John Robinson Blockhead, uh, the owner of the uh, paper, uh, essentially defined racism as uh, Dylan Roof. So if you uh, were not somebody who mowed down innocent uh, people while praying in a church, uh, then uh, you're not a racist. Um, And so um, I have noted, I know Chris Potter has uh, publicly come out. The, our late, great Chris Potter, who was a fixture on this program for, uh, for years, a former editor of the city paper who went over to the Post-Gazette, he has, and, and um, he has on Twitter, uh, dis- I, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, certainly um, told of his revulsion and his distancing of himself from his employer. And he even went so far as to say, in as much as he continues to work for and take money from uh, Blockhead, that he is, he finds himself in some measure complicit. And yet he has fallen back on what is a reporter's um, way of protest, which is he's removing his byline uh, so that his name doesn't appear in the paper. He did that yesterday on the piece he wrote on the um, <clears throat> uh, Pittsburgh Foundation uh, um taking sides uh, in the uh, gerrymander case uh, before the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And I'm blanking on the woman who's their tech person who also said something public uh, today. A uh, a whole bunch of former uh, Post-Gazette employees, many of whom you your the names of whom you will you would recognize uh have written a letter to the paper whether or not it gets printed is anybody's guess my guess is it won't um but who the hell knows <clears throat> the newspaper guild which represents um the the reporters and editors over there, and photographers. I'm not sure how big their reach is. I think those are the three groups. Um, has also uh, disavowed the um, editorial as well. And <coughs> I wanted to read you the uh, letter. Uh, written by the uh, former employees because I I think it does a a damn good job of expressing the outrage that so many of us felt when we read it. 
Um, and if you'll forgive me, I'm real good on this newfangled computer-like stuff, I'll tell you. I'm so quick. I'm so quick. Here it is. Okay. <clears throat> I want to share it with you, in case you hadn't seen it. For some reason, this won't. Come on, turn around there, baby. Turn, turn. Won't do it. Okay. Here it goes. As former Post-Gazette staff members, we are writing to express our anger at the content, tone, and timing of Monday's editorial. The piece seeks to excuse President Trump's disparaging remarks. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, this is not the Post-Gazette we knew. As a group, our personal politics and world views were often at odds. Newspapers are not a place for a single brand of personality or intellect. But we all shared the core values of journalism. Fairness, accuracy, careful thought, and common decency. An editorial saying, so what, which it did, to a president referring to African countries as shitholes and suggesting that the definition of racism be confined to the likes of racist mass murderer Dylan Roof or segregationist Sheriff Bull Connor basically surrenders the cause of civil rights. Racism is more than overt violence. Here's where I think they get it right. Totally right. Racism is more than overt violence. It is the systematic degradation of people through practices and institutions that are so pervasive we cease to recognize them in our own lives. It is dismissing a politician's horrible remarks as coarse but meaningless when words are the very tools of governance it is suggesting that racist is an invalid term unless someone has met a standard so narrow that it excuses a discrimination that is little more than apartheid without the violence. Notably, racism is also saying that these saying these things in print in a major newspaper on Martin Luther King Day. So these are former uh, employees uh, calling their employer a, uh, a racist, which he is, obviously. Um, to name names, and you'll, you'll know these folks, a lot of them, I certainly do. Mackenzie Carpenter, James O'Toole, Irvin Dyer, Timothy McNulty, Deborah Todd, Mark Roth, Alan Walton, Michael Henninger, Monica Haynes, R.J. Huffnagel, Ann Belser, Jennifer Lynn, Christina Rovales, Dennis Roddy, Carmen Lee, Michael Sansarino, Brian Spice, Anita Strick, I don't know Anita's name, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's an Indian name and I don't know how to pronounce it, Jim McKay, Martha Rial, Ryle, Kim Lyons, Robert Bianco, wow, there's a blast from the past, Daniel Malloy, Barbara Vancheri, Pat Risher-Ledowitz, Barbara Whitestack, and Molly Bourne. Um, <clears throat> again, I want to say how my heart goes out to all those people, good folks, at the Post-Gazette, once a great newspaper, now not so much, and certainly not, as its masthead says, I think laughably, one of America's great newspapers. It is not. And increasingly it has become uh, John Robinson Block's plaything. Um, it's, it's truly, truly unfortunate. It's an embarrassment to the city. As the Pittsburgh Foundation and the Heinz Foundation said yesterday in their, their extraordinary letter, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't think any of this will help the Post-Gazette survive, ultimately. 
um, it, it must be a place of abysmal morale. And I would think that, you know, if people see a way out, they'll get out. Although, as I said yesterday, it's very hard to get out <laughs> of a newspaper job if that's what your skill and your passion is because newspapers are folding left and right. They ain't hiring. They're, they're laying off. They're cutting, cutting, cutting. So I just want to say that um, I appreciate the people who are standing up. I would like to see more of it. I would like to see, um, if I don't know of, of ones that have, I really would like to see more. There were letters to the editor in the PG today that took the um, paper to task. Um, but And there was one that they happily printed from some, that's the one you sent me, from some unbelievable fool. Um, whose name is, we should always know the fools amongst us. Oh, you don't have the name. That's okay. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I'll give this fool a break but it's signed in the paper. Anyway, he just thought this editorial was magnificent. And he goes on to say it would be wonderful if the national news media would pick up and reprint it so the rest of the country could be rewarded with such a well-reasoned opinion piece. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much anymore. I really don't. One of the most remarkable things I saw in the news today is that North and South Korea are going to march under one flag at the Olympics. I mean... I mean, I thought it was maybe a hoax when I saw it because, I mean, these are two countries that, you know, literally are have weaponry fixed on each other. <laughs> North and South Korea. Maybe the South Koreans are trying to school Donald Trump in diplomacy on peaceful means to reach an end. I don't know, but I, wow, I credit um, all of those on both sides who worked that out. Good for them. And I must say, for the first time, I good for Kim Jong-un. Good. And it's a smart move on his part, too. Smart move on the South Korea. I wonder what the flag is, though. How do they agree on a flag? And, and um, I mean, I think they're competing separately as North and South because if one of their uh, athletes were to win, you got to play one of the national anthems, and there's not a common national anthem. Unless they want to go back to whatever it was before, <laughs> before they got split. I don't know. So I, I, I really found that to be extraordinarily uh, mind-blowing. And um, whatever. There are so many things going on, and, and I'm, I'm, I continue to be somewhat loath to continue wading into the same stuff. Is there going to be a government shutdown on Friday? Apparently that is more of a possibility <clears throat> than anyone would have thought last week. I don't know. We have no functional government. Unfortunately, we have Republicans in total control of the government, and, um, and they still blame the Democrats. It's so unbelievable. 
they know no shame. They have no ability. You can't humiliate them. They are shameless. So <laughs> they blame the Democrats for their inability to govern. They have majorities in both houses. They have the president. They have the majority of governorships, majority of state legislatures. And we can't govern. The Democrats are keeping us from governing. I don't know. So, oh, another little bright light. We got Korea and we've got Wisconsin. Um, normally, you wouldn't pay any attention to a special election for the state legislature in Wisconsin, but it's another one of those canaries in the coal mine. A Wisconsin state Senate seat, which had been held for ever by Republicans, that went by double digits for Donald Trump just a year ago, got flipped yesterday in Wisconsin and went blue big time. Now, I have to tell you, I have some sense of where this county is. It is rural. It is extremely rural. And those rural counties are bastions, as you know, of Trumpism. Those are the people that fell for him, that supported him, hook, line, and sinker. This is the upper Midwest. This is These are farmers and small business people. I don't think there's a major city in this district. And so no none of the none of the things that would say to you democrat democrat democrat. These are republicans. Hardcore, conservative, hardworking, the forgotten people, the ones that Trump said he was going to help. For them to turn around like that within a year, I got to tell you guys, that's a harbinger that gives me hope. Gives me hope. And I'll tell you someone who knows that it's a harbinger. Scott Walker the loathsome Republican governor of the state of Wisconsin, has freaked because of this and told the national Republicans, hey guys, hey guys, this is incredible. Walker knows Wisconsin politics and this is incredible. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is coming to these environs North Fayette, I guess, tomorrow, to appear, of course, not in public, to appear in a private setting, invited sycophants only, and uh, to trump it, his uh, tax bill, and, of course, to suggest that electing Secone in Tim Murphy's former district is the thing to do. By the way, if you're seeing those television ads already supporting Secone and trashing Lamb, they are about as vile and misleading as these things get. Despite the fact that Connor Lamb has specifically said he would not support Nancy Pelosi if the Democrats are able to take back the House, and he is one of the Democrats in the House. He would not support Nancy Pelosi as Speaker. That is public. <clears throat> the ad, the television ad I saw, 
says that he supports Nancy Pelosi. It says it twice. It has Nancy Pelosi's picture up there and his picture up there. I mean, it's just flat out lie. Lie. And are there any counter ads out there? I haven't seen any. Anybody seen any for Connor Lamb? Uh, Democrats? Got any money to flip a big district here? It's dispiriting. Um... <clears throat> Oh, uh, so John Allison, who is the um, editor of the opinion editor, so that opinion page is his, he oversees it. John Allison at the Post-Gazette, he, uh, I've just been sent, uh has said this in what? In a publication called The Incline, which is an on, um, online, online outlet in Pittsburgh news. Okay? And he says, regarding the letter from the foundations and the letter from the former staffers, both of which I've read to you, the, the first uh, yesterday, the second today. He was asked by the incline whether or not the paper will run it. That's his page. And he says this, I can't say yet if it will run, but we have it. Well, good for you, John. I have it too. Doesn't do me any good. That's really all I can say now. It's a delicate situation, and I can't say we're going to use it. Well, John, I mean, I feel for people whose jobs are on the line here, but, man, these times so cry out for courage. These times cry out for courage. This is when people show themselves. And I don't know why the people, the good people at the Post-Gazette don't understand that they've got power. And it's one thing for the guild to come out with some statement. And it's another thing for all of the editorial staff to strike for a day. Huh? How about something that'll attract real attention? How about growing a pair? How about doing something? How about standing up? John Robinson Block is standing in for Donald Trump here in our town. And we already have the extraordinary letter from the Pittsburgh Foundation and the Heinz and the Heinz Foundations. This is not an ordinary time. And John, thus far, if that's what you have to say, to say that that is disappointing is an understatement. Can John Robinson block fire all of you? Tony Norman, where are you? Brian, where are you? I don't know. You know, it, I know it's not easy to do something 
that puts you at risk. <clears throat> but our country's at risk right now. Your newspaper, our city's newspaper, is at risk right now. Allison went on to say this, what? In this case, he added, this one was given to us. What do you mean this one was given to us? Oh, the editorial. And I'm choosing my words carefully here. It was decided J.R. Block wanted that editorial in both papers, which is his right. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. That's his paper. But John, I just want to say now is not the time for choosing your words carefully. Now is the time for uh, more courage. I don't know what is said behind closed doors. I can imagine some of you stood up. I hope. I understand the editorial board is not a democracy, apparently. That it appears to be a democracy until John Robinson Block doesn't get his way. And then he says, this is no democracy, it's my fucking paper. But I just, I sure wish people were more inclined to do the right thing. Not the thing that's expedient, not, not the thing where they say, I have no power. Because as I said, how about... 30, 40 of you don't show up. Are they going to fire all of you? Well, maybe so. I don't know. I just, I, I think in these times, in these times, yeah, I'll say it again, people show themselves. This is, it, these times, what Donald Trump has given us is a, uh, a defining moment, a defining moment in terms of uh, character, of each person's character, of a newspaper's character, of a new staff's character. I think in many ways, we, I look and I see failure. <clears throat> I see failure on the part of the White House press corps. I don't think they should go to the briefings anymore. <clears throat> Those briefings are nothing but lies and bullshit, condescension, misinformation. And they know it. So why do they go? These are not normal times. If they are not normal times to continue to act as if they are, is to become part of the problem. All right. <clears throat> Um, so I finally saw specifically what Lindsey Graham said. He said to the president at the meeting, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, at least give him this much, he was the only person in the room who actually said something to the president in the moment. Not like Dick Durbin did, tell it after. 
But here is what Lindsey Graham said. He said, uh, well, where the hell is it? <laughs> I thought it was right here. There it is. Sorry, wrong paper. I'm quoting him now. The conversation was going down the wrong road, I thought, Graham said. And here's how I started. I said, if you're from Norway, Mr. President, you're a Norwegian. But if you're from America, what are you? It's not an ethnic group. It's not a religion. It's an ideal you cannot tell Americans by the way they look. People from all over the world want to be part of our ideal. And that diversity is our strength, not our weakness. That's what Graham said he said to the president in real time. Trump didn't hear him, I'm sure. He doesn't get it. Graham spoke the truth there. Yesterday in testimony on Capitol Hill, the head of our Homeland Security, this despicable Nielsen woman, said to the congressman, Senator Graham gave an impassioned speech on what he believes are American ideals. This is the same woman who yesterday when asked, aren't most Norwegians white? She said, I don't know. These are not normal times. And for all those who continue to comport themselves as if they are, you are part of the problem. Here's Frank Bruni. On Lindsey Graham. So right now we're supposed to what? Thank Graham for his candor? Because he effectively confirmed that in a meeting from about immigration in the Oval Office on Thursday a vulgar comment was uttered and because he stood up to the president at that time telling him that America was an ideal not a race. Or should we instead note how far Graham had previously traveled to prop up this same president? It was Graham who recently joined Senator Grassley, the Iowa Republican, in undercutting the credibility of the investigation into Trump's ties to Russia and instead said that the Justice Department should investigate the former British spy, Christopher Steele, who wrote the famous dossier. Bruni acknowledges that Graham is hardly the worst of the obsequious Republican enablers. And I've been confused by how he's become such an obvious enabler since during the campaign he called Trump the world's biggest jackass. During the campaign he said, tell Donald Trump to go to hell asked who was a better choice, Trump or Cruz, for the nomination. Graham famously said, 
That's like asking me whether I want to be shot or poisoned. And Graham, who has made uh, a name for himself being a hawk, hawk, hawk on national security, now looks the other way in regard to the Russians meddling in our democracy. There is no way to side with Donald Trump and not expose yourself as one, an opportunist, two, a racist, three, an American, four, um, I could probably keep going here. Um, did I say opportunist? Yeah, I did. There's no way. You get in bed with that guy, you're finished in terms of any reasonable person's estimation of your character. Henry writes, Lynn, why should any of this surprise us? Talking about the Post-Gazette. Conservative politics has taken over and all but eliminated liberal talk Republicans are changing FCC laws so that we can no longer choose what we watch on television. Right? You talking about net neutrality? By the way, the, there are 50 votes now to overturn that. We need one more. One Republican. Susan Collins is on board. She's one. We need another Republican. That's why, to give any of them a pass, Jeff Flake's going to get a lot of attention today because he's given the speech on the floor of the Senate, uh, essentially equating Donald Trump with Joseph Stalin. Okay? He is. But Jeff Flake votes with Trump every time. So we're going to give him credit? Graham, too. Every time. Henry says, and now newspapers are being manipulated to carry the conservative agenda. Sounds like World War II Germany, doesn't it? Well, I, I pointed out yesterday that I wish I could find that thing, too. Damn it, it was some book written by a German. You'll never find it, because I have a very vague... Some book written by a German who survived... Um, just a regular, ordinary old German, not a Jew, not somebody they came for. Just a German. And he wrote about the years before it really started to happen. And he talked about all these weird things were happening, abnormal things. Things were said. Things were done. And people were protesting. They were in the streets like us. They were yapping on their, you know, radios. And, and uh, they were resisting. And then he said that it just kept coming. It came at such a pace that people grew overwhelmed and didn't quite know where to fight. We fight over here. We fight over here. Oh, my God. Look over there. <coughs> and he said, and what was weird is that life went on. Everything was just normal. People went to work. Kids went to school. These things kept happening. Everything looked normal. You'd walk out of your house and you'd look at the street and everything looked the same. It looked normal. But it wasn't anymore. And eventually there was no way. The resistance was finished. And if you don't see parallels... 
with what is happening now. Then you're blind. Chuck writes, on the topic of the Republicans complaining they can't govern because of the Democrats, I say Democrats should not give even one single vote to keep the government running. Let them blame the Democrats. The people spoke. I say that loosely, he says. And Republicans hold all three branches of government. Republicans should either govern or get out. Uh, Barbara's telling me that Flake's speech is being called a blistering attack against the president. Well, I read it. The speech was out days ago. And it is. But who cares? Jeff Flake votes for his agenda every time. Jeff Flake is just appalled by his vulgarity. And he makes these statements about... The speech is about how you know Trump uses things like uh, the enemy of the people to talk about uh, the media. And Flake points out in the speech that that's what Stalin did. Stalin took that term, enemy of the people, and he put it on anybody who was going to be essentially murdered, killed. Any but a total way to discredit a media outlet, everything enemy of the people. That phrase was considered so toxic that Nikita Khrushchev got rid of the phrase. (laughs) No one was allowed to say it. He found it that repellent. I believe even Mao said it was repellent. I mean, Flake goes into all this stuff about how that phrase is considered that repellent, even in countries that are totalitarian. I don't know. I'm not going to listen to lectures about any of this crap from Jeff Flake, a member of the party who has brought us to this pretty pass. He gets no credit from me. None. And one of the reasons he's able to speak like this is he's not running for re-election. I'd give him credit if he were running for re-election and made this speech. And the same with what's-his-name from the South, the other guy, um, who calls the president, uh, uh, you know, incapable of governing and uh, unstable and all of that. He votes with him. They're repelled by the man, not by his agenda. His agenda and their agenda coincide. Tony's hearing every other word I'm saying. Anybody else having trouble? Started around 10.30. Not sure if it's on my end. Well, I haven't heard from anybody else, so... I don't know. You're all trying to find me. (laughs) Other people are like, is this the book? That might be the book. The Germans, 1933 to 45. That might be. This is not the same thing, but it's of... um, Thank you, Leon. I'll, let me let me read this out loud. It, it, it's a, a book called "They They Thought They Were Free." Is that the one you sent me? No, they thought they were free. 
but then it was too late. What no one seemed to notice was the ever-widening gap after 1933 between the government and the people. Just think how very wide this gap was to begin with here in Germany. And it became always wider. You know, it doesn't make people close to their government to be told that this is a people's government, a true democracy, or to be enrolled in civilian defense or even to vote. All this has little, really nothing to do with knowing one is governing. What happened here was the gradual habituation. Here we go. The gradual habituation of the people, little by little, to being governed by surprise. Oh, yeah. This is not what I saw, but here it is. The habituation of the people, little by little, to being governed by surprise. You tell me if that does not define the United States of America, American people, right now. Okay? This is being written about German people in the 30s. Little by little, to being governed by surprise, to receiving decisions deliberated in secret, to believing that the situation was so complicated that the government had to act on information which the people could not understand or so dangerous that even if the people could not understand it, it could not be released because of national security. And their sense of identification with Hitler, their trust in him, made it easier to widen the gap and reassured those who otherwise were worried about it. This is nowhere near as strong a statement as the one that I saw, damn it. And I, I didn't know how to capture it without just literally writing it down in longhand, which I should have done. <sighs> okay. What else? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I am dispirited. <clears throat> I came upon a picture on page four of the New York Times today which blew me away. It is a picture. We pay no attention to the rest of the world now. We never did much. But, you know, in the New York Times, there's the full front of the paper is the international section which in our news, generally in America, gets... <laughs> Always amazed if you bother to watch or listen to the BBC news. How... I mean, they cover, with total seriousness, countries we don't even know exist. They cover the politics in those countries. We are so ignorant. We are so ill-informed. But anyway, this picture caught my eye because it's a picture of soldiers in camo with rifles. And it turns out it's in Syria. And it's in a uh, part of Syria that has been reclaimed from the Islamic State and not under the boot of the Syrian dictator Assad. It is a little preserve in northeastern Syria that is essentially held by Kurds. And the United States is backing this group. It's a, they're intending to secure their border. 
The United States has said we will help them financially uh, for up to two years. It is a force of 30,000 strong. It is vehemently opposed by Syria, by Russia, by Turkey, and by Iran, none of whom want the Kurds to even think of developing a foothold for a potential nation of their own or an autonomous region of their own. What blew me away about the picture, and the article said nothing about it, is that in this group of soldiers, there are a ton of women. There are women in the Middle East. Hello? I'm thinking of, this is a hop, skip, and a jump from Saudi Arabia or Iran where women can't even be seen. They have to be totally controlled. They are given zero power. Zero. I love the Kurds. I always have. Here are the Kurds. And their women are warriors. Just saying. Anytime you hear about the Kurds, these are good people. These are brave people. These are people without a country. These are people who invariably get the short end of the stick and they're brave beyond belief. Can you imagine if it became known, just talking about the news, you talk about this constant onslaught of surprise news constantly that we now live under. Can you imagine if Barack Obama were president and it became known that his attorney paid six figures to the porn star of good will humping to buy her silence about her relationship with the president during the time his wife Melania was pregnant and even after she gave birth the relationship with the star of good will humping Continued. I want you to imagine. And then remember that the evangelicals in this country are the one demographic that is wholeheartedly in with this guy. That the party of family values is wholeheartedly in and aiding and abetting this guy. These are not normal times. We're living in some kind of a, I mean, I feel that it's like a freak show. I feel like I'm I really am in a in a, some kind of unbelievable fantasy nightmare. You can't make it up. I don't know why there are so many 
horrible people in this world. So many without conscience, obviously. Without principle. And these evangelicals who think their religious values are the most important and central thing in their lives, they don't belong to any religion. They belong to a political cult. And I feel for true evangelicals, because they are out there, who despair over the kidnapping of their religion because it has ceased to be. It is a political cult. Okay? Because there is no other way to explain, <laughs> none, how people who purportedly value and live by the words of Jesus of Nazareth could be all in with this monstrosity of a human being, Donald Trump, who embodies the antithesis of every Christian value. And not even subtly, overtly, vulgarly. So anybody who calls themselves Christian, or evangelical especially, and supports Donald Trump, I got news for you. Somewhere along the line, you've been brainwashed. You are so out of sync with what you, with your, what you purport to worship and believe and what your actions and words tell that you have to acknowledge that that which you call your religion is not a recognized religion. It is a political cult. That's it. And that's all it is. And once the rest of us figure that out, acknowledge that, Maybe we can understand a little bit more. Well, how could they possibly support this three-time married, adulterous, pussy-grabbing, despicable, racist human being and say that they're Christian? Because they're not. I can say I'm Bridget Bardot, but I'm not. They can say they're Christian. They are not. They are members of a cult. A political cult, not a religious cult. Simple as that. Oh, dear. Well, okay, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to end every show with the same thing. I'm sorry. I really am. I really am. I wish things were different. I wish times were different. I wish we didn't find ourselves in this sorry state. And I don't want anybody to lose hope because there still is some. Some. And a little glimmer of it came out of rural Wisconsin yesterday. So remember, and hold people to a higher standard now, as standards are being lowered all around us all the time. That's all I'm saying. Goodbye. Lincoln Live. 
Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.